0: This week on FX Guide TV. We speak to Chris Nolan of Public VFX about his amazing work on Flame for Lincoln. And also to Alan Lattery of Instinctual TV about some of the techniques he developed while doing some Audi spots.
1: This and more coming up next.
2: Hello and welcome to FX Guide TV. Now, in the past, our nuke production tutorials have proven to be a huge success. So we figured we'd do one for Flame. Now Autodesk's flame is very popular in the land of TVCs. So this week, we're looking at two car spots, unrelated, except both use flame's amazing compositing control to perform outstanding regrading and shot polishing.
0: That's right, Angie. We're going to start by talking to Chris Nollett, an old friend of uh, FX Guide, about his work on flame on a Lincoln spot. Now he works for public VFX in Venice, California an incredibly experienced uh, VFX artist, uh, actually from Sweden. Um, We've known his work for years, and I think it's really great because Flame is such a brilliant finishing tool. I mean, honestly, me personally, one of the greatest tools ever made in the the world of VFX. And so nothing, I think, illustrates how well it can be used for finishing spots than the work that we're about to see from Chris and then from Alan after that. And uh, I'm joined on the line now by Chris. Chris, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you man. Uh, good to be here. So look, there's a lot of really good work that goes into any high-end car spot and uh, I thought it'd be really useful to have a look at how somebody really crafts a spot and you actually recently worked on a, a great spot that we might be able to use as an example. Can you tell us about that?
3: Yeah, it was the Lincoln campaign, the latest ones with John Slattery from Madman. Um, it, was, it was an interesting campaign because uh, it went above and beyond what you would call sort of the norm for look development on a, on a spot. I mean, typically on a regular car spot, they'll you'll shoot and uh, there'll be a massive amount of cleanup and, and whatnot to go ahead and beautify the car, the environment, or whatever. But this spot was actually the car look and environment was crafted from the get-go um, to be something that was almost sort of surreal, uh, more of a light play and, and color fiesta, if you will, um, from the absolute get-go. Um, so it, it sort of entailed a lot more then you would typically hit on on an car spot for for the most part at least in my opinion.
0: So this first shot uh, you've color corrected and you've added a 3D grill. Why is that?
3: Well, I mean it's the it's this going back to what we were saying before about the the sort of hyper surrealistic sort of state of things. They light play being a really really important part for for Lincoln and for as as a sort of a recurring theme for the actual spot. They they wanted to have little glints and and whatnot wherever they could whatever they could go ahead and get them so the grill pass was sent to for going ahead and augmenting the actual uh... the paintings that were actually shot and whatnot, just to add a little bit of uh, extra to plus it out if you will so i mean for, for these kinds of you know for, for all the cg add-ons and, and little bits and pieces that we did light pass wise the general sort of uh, methodology we employed was we light all of the cars we did all of the model cleanup uh... in maya um, then went ahead and generated low-poly and high-poly count uh, models of the cars. Um, then they were all tracked and synthesized, uh, motion-matched both the camera, as well as registered the, the geometries of the car. Um, and then those models were sort of passed around between Flame and between Maya and Houdini in order to generate all the elements that were required for, for going ahead and doing this. So on, on on this first shot, for example, what you're seeing is a whole ton of... Math passes that are being generated at a flame using the geometry that was actually modeled uh, and from the lidar scans. So you can think of it as flame basically generating holdout mats for two D color correction combined with three D with three D elements generated in Maya rendered in Mental Ray. Wow. I mean, as far as the two D color corrections and whatnot were concerned, I mean there was a there was a visual palette, a color lexicon, if you will, that was established in Photoshop. Um, quite early on, so kind of knew what was what we were going to have to do and where we were going to have to go so
0: well for this next shot, the car 's driving down what looks like a, either a set or a certainly a low ceiling uh, environment and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> walk us through the stages because it seems to be quite a lot of work done between this and the final shot.
3: yeah, this is kind of bananas in fact um, the, the whole the exterior shots, which aren 't in the breakdown which you, which are actually on on the spots. Um, they were all shot at a place called the Salk Institute, um, and it was the first time ever a commercial has been shot at Salk. Um, it's it's a beautiful location. I mean, it's absolutely stunning. Uh, there's tons of travertine floors and and buildings and whatnot, and it's 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 just I mean, it's just breathtaking. This it's a lot of light play in that location. But the one stipulation was that we weren't allowed to shoot the car actually at Salk. So, uh, what the production team did was they went ahead and designed a. A sort of runway, I guess, if you will, um, that was in the sort of style of Sulk, and then it was left up to us to go ahead and actually fill in the pieces to really make it feel like Sulk. So the, what you're seeing in this particular shot is actually the is actually the set. Um, so I guess, the, of course, we start with the flat passes that we receive from Telecine and whatnot. The shot was flipped in the edit, which this is kind of one of those ones where it's just on the surface always seems like such a simple thing, but we had to go ahead, since we're seeing the back of the car, we had to take all the badges, flip them, take the license plate, flip them. The gas cap, of course, is on the other side of the car. Once you flip it, so we had to remove the gas cap. Um, so it's just, you know, that, that stuff was more or less simple, simple projection uh, and paint onto the actual uh, low-poly count geometry that we, had, that we had taken from the LiDAR scans. Let's see, coming after that, yeah. And then, of course, during the breakdown, you see the 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 motion-matched geometry and the, the cleaned up lidar scan of the car matched together uh, let's see after that the next thing that, that we really had to deal with for the most part on all of the shots of the car where you see this that were shot on the runway if you will um, was to go ahead and actually put in the the travertine texture on all the floors. Now, I did some did some early tests on um, doing it as uh, as a as a texture uh, in Flame and mapping it on, but it doesn't it didn't really give the uh, it didn't really give the same sense as what was what you were seeing in some of the other shots. So in the end, the floors were done as uh, procedural elements in Houdini. Um, and uh they worked out quite well it was It was interesting sort of see how it came together so uh Joda Hall, who was the visual effects uh three d supervisor on this one then come after that we started doing the two d color correction layers and again, this is just a pretty extensive use of the the actual uh, hold mats and flame and whatnot um
0: and so and then we had to put in um, additional elements down the side here. These uh, environment lighting panels.
3: Yeah, exactly. So those are again. This is just you know, in, in its simplest form. This is just literally shining a light from the you know the directional light from the side um, through the three D geometry, and going ahead and hit the floor. Um, then using that essentially to color correct down, color correct down. Uh, the existing floor to a really cool blue tone. There was a, there was a, there was a lot of back and forth about this cool blue tone because it really had to fit into the in, into the actual uh, the feeling and whatnot. So it wasn't enough just to darken it. It really had to feel like a cold tone. Um, but of course, once that was in place, then the next little issue came up, which is that if you had that kind of shadowing going on on the floor, you would absolutely have to see that reflected in the sheet metal of the car. So the next next thing became. Um, making reflection passes for the car so that it actually is reflecting this new shadow floor Um, and then there's just a little bit of color and whatnot to knock it back into place and and we were home I mean but that being said start to finish on that that one shot that's that's a that's about a week's worth of work maybe four days on that one shot and a handful of different people going ahead and doing it and our our whole procedure for doing these shots was you know we're having we have it two guys who were sitting there doing you know sort of the the cleanup work we have two guys one who's doing 3 d uh, floors one who's doing lighting passes and reflections and whatnot, and then everything is getting funneled up to me uh, for doing the final color correction work and actually putting all the shots together so it was it was very much a, a group effort uh, a lot of a lot of going back and forth between myself and James Allen, who was the other senior inferno on this on this job actually yeah so from this this next shot here. Um, we have the car again in the again in the runway scenario. The color palette's changed. Um, this is for another spot that was supposed to have a little bit of a cooler color palette. Um, base color that we got the the flat scans that we got from from uh, company three left a little bit to be desired. So in order to get the shot actually on the road, we had to we had to go ahead and do a little bit of base color to start with before we started laying on the textured. And AO passes for the shadows, for the floors and whatnot. All that stuff got comped on. Yeah, and then we then quite like the last shot um, that we were discussing. There's the the need for the shadows uh, and lighting passes that are coming from the the side lit uh, wall paneling, these partitions that are on the right hand side of the frame. Um, so once that was in place, then it was the same trick with going ahead and having to go ahead and add in reflections on the car. Then after we had that in place came a lot of the 2D color correction layers and uh, to go ahead and bring it the rest of the way into the color palette we decided for for this particular spot. Um, on this one as well, the color palette I kind of decided early on that it was going to be, rather than this orange tone that they had actually shot the, the, the spot with, uh, since we would opted for more of a color uh, colder color palette um, and oranges that were closer to reds, Um, I started using uh, 2D based normal relighting for this one, so 3D was essentially rendering out uh, normal passes of the 3D checked geometry of the car, Um, and then within Flame, I was able to take that that, uh, UV relighting pass, apply it to the picture that I graded up in the Flame and whatnot. Um, add a light and then interactively relight bits of the car. So if I wanted to have in, like in this particular shot I needed to have the side paneling reflecting a little bit of the red light that I'm seeing in the background that I that I that I uh, put in. So moving this little light around the car till I find the sweet spot that so you know feels as though it's being lit from the the side with the red light. Uh, and then use that as a as a layer just on top of, of the actual co- as the actual comp and color correction has been set up. That was really complicated to say, man. <laughs> <laughs> like trying to explain normal relighting for people, so it's kind of rough. I would like to think that most people would probably know how it works, but at any rate, so with this with this normal with this normal map from the car, I mean that's been generated by CG. You can essentially create. Uh, you know shadows and, and and lighting, and then the power of it really became applying those different passes as uh, logical operations, so that you're not just adding on top of. You're actually you know in some cases subtracting green in order to give yourself red, which is I think is how I ended up doing this when all was said and done. It was rather than actually use a, a red light, I made a green a green pass and then subtracted that using logical operations to to get the color red and tonality that I was actually after. Um, yeah. After that, we went ahead, and there's of course the red reflections passes for the side of the car that needed to be in place to to mimic what's happening in the actual that's uh, happening on on the the floors and whatnot. Oh, and then one of my personal favorites. I mean, this 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 show. A lot of it was very uh, was very gung ho. There was a lot of material that had to be shot. I think total there were. Oh God! I want to say that we did nine spots total in four weeks, which gives you kind of an idea of how the the production schedule must have been in order to get all the material required for this. So, uh, during the editorial, there was a lot of things that I pointed out, uh, as well, you know, sort of. Production misses—not like, really misses, but they just there weren't time to always go ahead and script supervise certain certain aspects of the shoot. And this is a perfect example of one of those times where we have a car coming down the the runway, and the previous shot and editorial, and the and the shot following, the the headlamps are actually on. So they weren't on, obviously, in this shot. So we had scanned the whole car, uh, and we had a, a very basic lens assembly that we used to go ahead and you know turn on the lights uh, the headlamps of the car so that combined with a little bit of motion blur post mental ray so yeah so then adding on that lens assembly and uh and whatnot that, that sort of finished off that shot so then moving on we had this this rear end shot and i i actually i really like this shot i think it's a, i think it's a good looking i think it's a good looking you know angle on the car and, and the clients are really really happy with it um, again, from the from the the base plate, from the flat the flat pass, you can see that it was the, the, very much the orange tonality that the whole campaign originally was shot with. And again, since we were going for green red, that needed to be sort of negated and, and moved into a colder direction. So the first step was was making that happen. Um, then again, we had the track geometry for everything. So once I generated, once I had to be generated the normal passes for this. Uh, for this actual shot, I was able to then go in and do normal base relighting to go ahead and have the tail end of the of the car lighting red so that we have this really nice and you know kind of subtle sort of juxtaposition of this really cold uh, greenish tone on the right hand side of the car and then red on towards the center and left. Um it works out quite well. And I mean, it, it's nice because it even pings it even pings that same sort of red on the edges of the uh, of the Lincoln logo which was a which is a big thing for the creative team they they love little details like that so yeah it came up pretty good this last shot in the breakdown um, was just you know massive amount of a massive amount of color correction 2D color correction um, again using hold up mats based on based on the low poly count geometry um... and the the match moved camera um, once the once the general look of it was approved and written off on then came the, the sort of the icing on the on the cake uh... in terms of adding the, these really slow deliberate uh, light pings going across the grill and across the uh... the lincoln logo um, the lincoln logo that was actually in the shot there was kind of falling out a little bit towards the tops and the bottoms was getting a little bit too black for uh... For the end client, they wanted to see more of it so there was a, an, an additional uh, Lincoln logo that went over that and then on top of that came a little bit of a red ping pass for for the logo just to make it you know just to give it a little bit of uh, something extra so I mean in, in general that's I mean that that was basically the process over nine commercials and uh, what was it roughly three four weeks, four weeks? So um, most of the work, most of the work I would say went to the cars. Um, there are things that are in this break. There are things that are in the final spots that I didn't actually just choose to put into this breakdown just because I thought it was, uh, I kind of want to focus on what I think is for the most part the the future of, uh, of color correction in terms of what techniques are going to be, you know, it's become more sort of every day as uh, as the tech sort of develops and becomes even faster
0: i mean it's get... interesting isn't it because there's a trend to, of course saying that there's a lot more power in a color grading desk but people forget that in fact the level of color grading you can go to when you have 3d geometry and projection and uh full tracking is is vastly beyond anything that a that a desk can do
3: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, what's also interesting is if you think about the way that this all could move forward. I mean, there's with, with the you know the level of power you're seeing from whether it's Lust or Baselight or um, you know whatever whatever insert color corrector name here. Most of them have moved on to to GPU based pipeline grading. Um, they have support for doing these kinds of operations in the GPUs that they they're actually using for doing the color grading so one must wonder in the long run how long it's going to take before you start seeing you know support for you know normal relighting because if we are just talking about a pass I mean getting a normals pass for relighting a scene isn't I mean that's it's just an float flow DXR so being able to plug that in and say you know normal relight based on that I mean that that seems like something that would be a relatively uh, simple thing to go ahead and actually add into any kind of grading pipeline. Now, I mean, if you wanted to include geometry and whatnot, I mean, obviously that's something that would come further down the line. But again, it's not. We're not really talking about something that feels so so terribly complex. Um, and I, I, for one, would love to have you know, say, if you're talking about typical color correction in uh, in the resolve or or base light sort of style. the the ability just to go ahead and add a you know a normal a normal map or a UV positional pass or whatever and just say okay you know here's my here 's my circle I want my circle to follow these this set of UVs on this set of frames and so all of a sudden you 've got a power window that 's capable of tracking in three d space across an object which is non planar and things like that are are very very interesting and then of course they're right now they 're resolved they're they 're reserved for the the nukes and the flames of the world but I mean, one must wonder if how long it's going to take before these, these sort of techniques actually wander their way into, into 2D color.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking time to uh, talk to us about it. And uh, congratulations on the spots. They're great. And well, thank you, man. Obviously, uh, there's more to it than we've shown here, but this has been a great insight into kind of like cutting edge, uh, what it takes to do high-end commercials grading. Thank you so much.
3: My pleasure, Mike. Take care.
0: All right, well now let's cross to Alan Lattery. Now he's a a freelance Flame artist, though he works out of Instinctual.TV, if you want to look him up. And uh, this is a spot that he did for Audi, or rather, this is a spot that he kind of redid, because some of the techniques he's going to show you in this next section weren't actually used in the actual TVC itself. But um, this is an Audi car spot. It uses some really interesting techniques, and I think it's just a fascinating way that Flame has extended out in recent times. So now this is a spot that you guys did at uh, Blind, but in fact, in reality, this was done in 3D, but you then came up with a way that you could approach the same problem inside Flame. Can you tell us about the spot?
1: Yeah, definitely. So this is uh, a spot for a new Audi. I think it's the A7. um, That was uh, a European spot for theater projection. So they went to London to film the car, and they filmed it on a very large technocrane that was also on a dolly. Uh, they shot at a very high frame rate of 92 frames a second, and they also did the move very slow. Uh, and so by doing it slow with a very high frame rate on a long crane, on a dolly, there was a lot of bounce in the, the crane. Uh, it wasn't just like an up and down bounce, but there was some nodal kind of rotational bounce and some scaling going on. Uh, at first, I tried to do a bunch of 2D tricks and techniques to stabilize this camera and make it a usable move, um, and I spent a little while on it. and. I felt really confident I'd be able to get it, but because of the amount of error that was in the camera move, it just wasn't going to work in 2D. So working with the CG supervisor at Blind, uh, Hatem Ben-Abdella, we devised a technique of reprojecting the footage onto a CAD model provided by the car company and then recreating a whole new camera
0: move. Well, let's, uh, let's walk through that right now. Um, we've sure. got a, a really helpful clip that you put together. Um, so let's, uh, let's look at that. So this is the shot of the car. And walk us through what we're looking at.
1: So this is the final composite here. Uh, it's been stabilized, treated, and uh, repositioned. So here, here is the original footage. It's, uh, it's very shaky. As you can see, the lighting was very flat. There wasn't really any dynamic feel to the lighting or to the car. Um, also, there's a bunch of like little fixes that had to happen on top of this footage uh, beyond just the stabilization. Some of the big ones were the headlights were flickering um, to the camera, lots of other little touch-ups on the car, fixing the license plate.
0: Right, so that you had the additional weave and float of any kind of uh, film process that would have gone through.
1: Yes, exactly. Okay, so there's film- also. Uh, when I was having to push the color correction so much, it was also uh, the grain was very apparent. So I used some tools to minimize the grain, which I think helped to make it look you know, very nice and almost have a little bit of a CG feel to it.
0: So then you did a color correction and mm-hmm. um, and got a, a much better look. Presumably, you color corrected in flame?
1: I did color corrected in flame. It was probably about 16 different layers of color correction, uh, isolating all the different parts of the car, even you know pulling little... Highlight and shadow passes just to tweak it and really get some depth and some modeling out of the car, which wasn't really there with the natural lighting.
0: Now, to do that, did you track in mats uh, or did you use the 3D tracking? You did use 3D tracking at some point.
1: Yeah, so initially when I started off this shot, it was before I had um, any type of car model. And so I did use uh, the built in 3D tracker and the flame. And I created some bicubic surfaces that I kind of warped to be somewhat reminiscent of the shape of the car, based off of the uh, tracking point cloud to give me a reference of of the shape of the car in three D space.
0: Right. And now, now this is the uh, the the trick or the tip, if you like, which is to right. actually introduce a CAD model of the car. Walk us through that.
1: Right. So. Uh, For the final track, we we did the final track in Buju, which got a lot more precise than uh, the Flame Tracker was able to do. Uh, So I imported the FBX file from Boujou with the track. It also included the model of the car and made sure to line that up into the proper 3D space of where the car was in relation to the camera using the the point cloud references. Um, So once that's done, and you can see here how this uh, flat shaded kind of uh, proxy geometry of the car lines up very well to the shot footage. And and that's really what's key to this whole process is it has to really line up quite solid with that. And then the next step is you uh, create a projector uh, and apply your original footage to the projector. And again, line that up with the original camera onto the geometry of the car.
0: so this only works because the projected image is being projected from where the camera actually is. If, of course, the camera tracking wasn't accurate, then the projection would no longer line up with the car and the texture on the car would appear to slide. That's why you need a really good track. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially for something that's this precise. There are you know, other techniques of kind of projecting um, paint fixes onto just flat surfaces, and I've been able to get away with some pretty loose cameras on that, but when it, you know, it uh, required such a specific alignment and, and lots of perspective as this camera uh, did, it, it needs to be dead
0: on. Right. So now you've got the projected uh, fixed-up color-graded um, projection map. That's the, the source material you're providing to the projector, that, that previously-graded right. version, right?
1: Right. And, and then so from there, you can create a new camera... And for this example, I you know animated it along a, a path spline, and I created a look at constraint to the center of the car. So it was really easy for me just to create the new camera that I wanted because I never had to worry about keeping it rotated, lined up with the car because the constraint just always kept it right there.
0: Right. So the look at causes the camera in Flame to just stay looking at the same point no matter where the camera is moved in Z space.
1: That's right. So it was a two point camera spline that I you know just took the vertexes and created kind of an arc, and, and that was pretty much done.
0: So because the texture isn't sliding on the car, because the, the live-action footage is being projected uh, on a moving camera, from a moving camera, as it were, uh, then the, the whole new camera is just seeing what looks like a remarkably stable car that it can just film. And then, of course, on top of that, you then went and added, what, reflections and other things using the uh, extra mats.
1: Right. So for the reflections, I just deleted all of the geometry except for the windows. And I, again, I used um, a reflected texture and the new camera and just ran that through, created, you know, just created some gradients going through. And then we had also rotoed, we had a guy in India, roto a bunch of different parts of the car. So the red mat or the red channel is the overall shape of the car. The green channel is the side windows, the blue channel was the front and back windshields. And then we did a second multi-mat with some different trim areas of the car. And again, running those through this whole projector setup gave me you know, the solid, stabilized mats that lined up exactly with the original footage of the car so that there, there were no seeming issues. Uh, And then I was able to use those to hold things out or add them in, like, you know, add reflections into the windows, add some tint to darken them down, make sure that the trim wasn't getting darkened down with the windows. And it gave me a lot of flexibility and control.
0: So you mentioned earlier that the lights flickered. How did you solve that? All
1: right. So um, I've been kind of developing this technique over the past two years of using the motion estimated time warper as a way of kind of automorphing. Uh, between different frames. Uh, So for this particular fix, it was a a perfect um, use case for that. And uh, it's a little hard to see without it playing in real time. Uh, But the headlights are flickering and I'm really surprised that they were because they're LED headlights and usually those just have a constant on state. Uh, So I don't know how they became unsunk from the camera shutter. Uh, But to fix that, basically I stabilized each headlight separately and then I only did a one point stabilize for position, not for rotation or scale. Uh, and then I went through and I chose very specific frames where the lights were at the brightest point throughout that move. So in this case, I think I ended up with like 25 what I call keyframes or hold frames. Uh, I use an expression to select those so I'm able to keep all of this live within the batch setup in flame. And so I'm left with literally a 25 frame sequence Of um, frames, we could say every 20 frames, every 25 frames. There's really no pattern to it. It's just you know what I think is going to work best. I then invert that data curve. Um, There's no way to do that via an expression. It's it's not just a a scale. It's really more of an inversion of the uh, value to time. Uh, So I have to do that manually, and I enter that as a time warp curve in the motion node of Batch, and then I set that to. reinterpolate those frames over the length of the original shot. So it's automatically morphing between these held keyframes to reproduce the, the full actual move.
0: So let me see if I understand you right. Let's imagine that the uh, lights were going up and down in values between, just for argument's sake, one and a half. If you picked five or six frames where it was at one, and then got it to interpolate between all of those one frames, you'd miss it ever dipping down to a half, and so you'd basically right. have the shape morphing over time, and of course it would not know that it needs to dip in luminance values, so it would always keep the luminance at one, and therefore the lights have reduced and removed the flicker. Is that right?
1: Basically, yeah, exactly. You just you don't, you don't give the, the motion estimated time warp node the down frames, Right. So it's basically morphing between two good frames, and those two good frames might be 10 frames apart or 15 frames apart or what, you know, whatever is necessary to, to, to get it there. Um, and that way, you just never have a bad frame. And as long as you have enough in-between frames, the uh, automorfer does a great job, and you just can't tell that it's actually a morph and not just normal speed footage.
0: And then presumably, you then cut out a mat uh, of that new produced interpolated footage and stick it on top of the, the faulty sort of flickering version
1: right well what you have to do is you, you have to basically invert the stabilization data to retract this onto, onto the original footage and then yeah you just use a mat to, to patch it in basically
0: right because you'd stabilize it and if you didn't put that instability back in it wouldn't line up
1: yeah, and I stabilized it just because it gives the automorph or less to have to worry about, or, or the motion node. It, it just makes it easier for the uh, optical flow to, to work and do a better job.
0: Right, right, because it doesn't have to seek so much to find where its next frame is that it's destined towards. Right. So then you needed a new background. That's right. So that was something so, you made as a virtual set inside Flame? Uh,
1: I, I did for this tip example... For the real spot, it was done in 3D by Hatem, but I took the FBX model of what he used and it just shows the power of the lighting controls in Flame to be able to recreate you know, a very nice looking uh, virtual set using the same camera that I created for the car animation.
0: Now, we should point out that this, was, uh, this tip is done with the current release of Flame. The new release of Flame that incorporates the brand new lighting setup and, uh, and shadows and stuff was something that you didn't have available when you were doing this tip. That's, That's uh, right. And so you've got a new background now. Presumably that new background can just uh, inherit the same move because it's in the same three-dimensional space.
1: Exactly. It all lines up perfectly.
0: But I'm I'm interested, to sell a shot like this, you have to add quite a few other things, like not just a background. Um, Go through Mm -hmm. some of those extra things you added just to sell in the shot, like shadows and stuff.
1: Right. So I added uh, two different layers of shadows. One was more of a broad overall shadow pass, and then there was a secondary you know, uh, specific contact shadow pass. So you know, added those as two different layers, sweetened them a little bit. I also added some glows for the hot spots on the car, because there were definitely a couple places in the car that blew out to white uh, along the tail bumper and along the rim of the hood. Also added some real subtle edge softening, uh, depth of field, some grain. Um, and then there were a couple other little fixes that had to happen overall.
0: Well, it's certainly a really effective use of uh, sort of rebuilding a shot. And, uh, and I take it that uh, the actual final spot, um, the one that used the full 3D implementation, uh, was well received by the client?
1: Oh, they loved it. Yeah, it was great. And, and the full spot's a really interesting spot beyond just this shot. The, the prior 20 seconds are really amazing and creative. And uh, uh, other people at Blind did a great job.
0: Well, thanks so much for taking time to show us this. We really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Anytime.
0: OK, well uh, thanks to both Chris and Alan for showing us their work. Now I should point out that both of these were recorded uh, actually before an AB, so they were recorded before the release of the 2012 edition of FLAME. So these techniques are valid for the previous version and obviously uh, moving forward in terms of their technique, but FLAME has expanded even more in recent times as we covered. In FX Guide TV. And we'd like to do more of these in different products, not just uh, Flame and Nuke and stuff, but other products. So if you've got work like this, please uh, send us online line, drop us some, an email, and uh, we'd love to be able to profile your work and, in particular, the techniques here on FX Guide TV. Back to you, Ange.
2: Thanks for that, Mike. Well, John Montgomery is currently in Germany, and next week he'll be covering the FMX conference, including some great news in the open source community. And we'd love to hear your thoughts about the show. So please email us at tvfxguide.com. At Until then, see ya! For more industry news, in depth features, podcasts, and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.